before we go to the beautiful covenant meal that Jesus gave his church together, we're going to start our new message series from the book of Colossians. It's going to be quite a journey together into the sufficiency and, and wonder of Jesus. This morning, as you're turning to Colossians 1.1, uh, my, what I'd like to do is to introduce this book to you in its context. I'd like to answer the question why this book was written and what it means to us today. And so let's begin the book of Colossians by reading the first eight verses. This is the word of God. I, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the holy and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace and peace to you from God, our father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love you have for all the saints, the faith and love that spring from the hope that is stored up for you in heaven that you have already heard about in the word of truth, the gospel that has come to you. All over the world, this gospel is bearing fruit and growing, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and understood God's grace in all its truth. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf and who also told us of your love for us in the Spirit. The issue that is being pressed by Paul in this book simply boils down to this question. Is a relationship with Christ enough? Is knowing Christ enough for our lives as human beings? This week, I discovered something pretty amazing, a little bit shocking. One of my daughters came and announced to me that one of my former pastor friends from Colorado Springs, Colorado, where we lived before moving to Mississippi, was going to be on national television, along with his wife. Now, this particular friend is no stranger to primetime. Uh, back when I lived in Colorado Springs, I think I saw him on Larry King Live one night answering questions about certain cultural issues. He he kind of made the prime time. He was the pastor of a mega, mega, mega church there in Colorado Springs. And, and, and then he really kind of broke into the, you know, the, the real prime time when he became the, the president or the head of the National Association of Evangelicals. So he was no longer just a mega church pastor. He represented uh, all Bible-believing people. Now, not all Bible-believing people uh, accepted his leadership and, and representation. But then the third time he really broke into the, the public awareness was, was when this friend just fell hard into sin. It had to do with homosexuality and a male prostitute. I won't go into the details uh, I remember driving down Highland Colony Parkway and hearing it on the radio. 
And, and for those of you that know me well enough to know this, I mean, I don't just cry a lot. And I just burst into tears. And it was really hard, I'm going to be honest with you, the first few months as people were talking about this and all the, the jokes about my friend and everybody was laughing at him and I was crying because I know him. And uh, I wish I had his phone number, I'd call him today, but I can't get it. And uh, his wife, Gail, Ted Haggart is his name. His wife, Gail, is a particularly wonderful believer. And um, anyway, I learned this week that Ted Haggart and Gail Haggart were going to be on a show that I would not watch otherwise, and I think I shall never watch again, called Celebrity Wife Swap. And uh, so we all watched it together, uh, Celebrity Wife Swap, and I don't, just don't like that title, you know? Um, and so basically you swap wives, and there's no intimacy or anything like that, but it's still inappropriate. And, um, and you're like one week with the other person's spouse. Like I said, it's just yuck. But, but anyway, I, I just wanted to see what would, what would happen. I wanted to see how particularly Gail Haggard would handle this. And do you know who they got paired up with to, to swap with? The actor, Gary Busey. And his, quote, spirit wife, they said they don't need a piece of paper or a ceremony, they're spirit married, his spirit wife, and uh, Gary Busey, who played in the Buddy Holly story and, and lots of other films. Um, anyway, I tell you all this, not so much just, I watched it because of my relationship with Ted and Gail, but I don't tell you about this for that reason. I tell you for this reason, it's really about Gary Busey. It was interesting that Gail Haggard and Gary Busey sat down and within an hour, Gary Busey had announced to Gail Haggard that during this week he was going to enlighten her and help her spiritually for a change. And he said, and you need to understand right here and right now, you have, we have been here before and reincarnation is true. In fact, I used to be one of the witches burned at the Salem witch trial. Then I was an Indian chief that got slaughtered. I mean, I'm going, what? Because Gary Busey has been all over the headlines as being one of the born-again Christians in Hollywood. I remember seeing an, uh, an interview with Gary Busey. Oh, yeah, I love Jesus. I know Jesus. And there are Christians in Hollywood. Now I'm hearing him say he believes in reincarnation. And then he announces to Gail Haggard, and I'm just like dying watching her go, mm-hmm. She's very sweet. And she had determined she was going to be gracious as she dealt with this wild man, Gary Busey. And, uh, and he was a wild man. But he said, I've got a, I've got a surprise for you. I, I'm, he brought an American Indian medicine man to the house to perform a spiritual ceremony to enlighten her and to expand her horizons, to, to give her a better walk with God. And that Indian guy in full regalia came in and he was about to surround Gail Haggard with burning herbs to, quote, cleanse her soul. And I just will always appreciate the fact she very sweetly, I mean, not like a steel magnolia kind of sweetly, uh, she very sweetly said, I would like to request to be a, an observer and not a participant. Jesus Christ shed his blood to cleanse my soul, and that's enough. And I'm like, Gail, you go. But the burning herbs came out, and then the, the spirit wife was sending astral projections. Did you feel me when I sent this? I'm like, this is crazy. 
got to do with Colossians? A lot. As amused as I was with Gail dealing with it all, I'm going to tell you something. I was so sad for Gary Busey. Because for him, by his own words, and for lots of people in our culture like him, the cross of Christ is obviously insufficient. Let me tell you, you hear what I just told you? If you get what's wrong with Gary Busey's theology, then you just get what's wrong in Colossae. If you get what's wrong with that, then you perfectly understand why Paul wrote this letter to these people in this little town in Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey. The believers in Colossae had heard the gospel for the first time from a man named Epaphras. Now, I understand the correct word to say it is Epaphras, but being a southerner, I'm just going to say Epaphras for some reason. just sounds better off my tongue. Um, we think that Epaphras, who was a native son of Colossae, a little crossroads town, smallest town Paul ever wrote a letter to, a little crossroads town on a, on a Roman road, kind of had its day and, and now was in a, a time of decline. In fact, just a few years after this letter was written, an earthquake wiped out the whole city. But um, we think that Epaphras had gone to Ephesus, which was the capital, the cultural capital of Asia Minor, and there's a place called Tyrannus Hall where Paul daily would, would stand and, and deliver the gospel and, and philosophically deal with Greco-Roman people who are trying to search for, for how things in nature and how things in the spirit realm all fit together, seeking truth. And Paul was just was holding forth in this place called Tyrannus Hall every day. And this went on for a long time. And it was there that we believe that Epaphras heard the gospel. And Epaphras understood who Jesus was and that Jesus is the only answer between a holy God and sinful, rebellious man. That God literally has done for us what we can't do for ourselves. We can't rise to God through religion. So God has sent His own Son to pay the price for the sin that separates us from God. And Epaphras put his trust in Christ. You can just imagine how he just couldn't get over the fact that his sins had been separated as far from him as the east is from the west. The Holy Spirit came into his life. It was a brand new life. He was born again into a new life. And you know, the first, one of the first things that Epaphras did is exactly one of the first things that lots of people do when they, when they come into this salvation and can't get over it. He went and told his family. He went back to his hometown and, and Epaphras began to, to talk, maybe pr uh, privately at first, we don't know, then maybe publicly, we don't know, but, but the most interesting thing happened is the gospel is the power of God and the salvation First for the Jew, then for the Gentile. And he's out here with the Gentiles. And um, people began to put their trust in Christ in his hometown. And then there was a little church that was formed. And basically what we have here in, in the book of Colossians, or the letter written to the church at Colossae, what we have here is a response to a report that Epaphras has given Paul about this little church. You see, this, he had a great kinship. Paul did, though he did not start this church. Because it kind of was, he was kind of a grandfather, if you were, at will, of this church. 
had a lot of concern, a lot of love, and a great kinship for this little church in this little town. And Epaphras basically told Paul, think these people are growing in the Lord. These people get the gospel of Jesus Christ and we'll read in a moment some of the wonderful things that Paul says back to them. But then there comes a moment in the report that Epaphras gives to Paul. And he said something like this. But Paul, I'm going to tell you, there's trouble brewing in Colossae. There's an incredible threat in that little church because there are people who've come from the outside who are teaching things other than the gospel. They are teaching basically that, hey, Jesus, that's great, but he's certainly not enough. And I'll tell you what they added to it in just a moment. The false teachers were saying he's insufficient. You've got to believe and do other religious things. You've got to have an extra experience to really, really, really know God and to really have a happy life and to really make everything work for you, which is the way people like that sell their stuff. And it was undermining the sufficiency of the cross of Jesus Christ and their identity in Christ. You know what bugged me the most about watching Celebrity Wife Swap? Even though I was saddened about Gary Busey, that that wasn't the thing that kind of dug at me. I, I thought about that a lot. What bugged me is I was reading the book of Colossians simultaneous to watching Celebrity Wife Swap. And you know, the bottom line is, is it dawned on me that, uh, that though we might not be seeking gurus or these weird spiritual things, although there are people in this sanctuary that go on the internet and Google and there's all kinds of stuff that people are trying in addition to Jesus. But um, there are things, I think, that we look, at, look for outside of Christ to make our life. Rather than going deeper into the love of God, rather than really going deeper into that forgiveness, saying, I, I do know that He is the answer. I do know that He lives within me. I, I do know that I don't know everything about Him. And I'd like to know how all these things work under His Lordship and work together properly. But no, we kind of go outside of that and, and we grab one of these things and it becomes what's called an idol. And we say, yeah, yeah, Jesus, but, but, but this is the thing that's going to make it for me. That's, that's going to make me happy. And, and sometimes um, when we say and go outside rather than going deeper into Jesus, uh, we're not just saying that that's helpful for a Christian. What we're saying is, is that Jesus can't do it for you. And we're actually saying underneath that this is where the real power is. This is where we're going to put our trust. It's exactly what was going on in Colossae. And sometimes that's my own problem too. And I, I wonder if you ever struggle with Jesus plus something in your life when things aren't going well or you're afraid of something. Looking into those things, the, the false teachers in Colossae were, were saying, hey, Jesus is great, but He's not enough. You realize, except for the new atheists and and some other kind of belligerent people that are on the rise, most people think Jesus is great. Now, they don't like hearing that they're sinners and why Jesus came, but you go out and 
anywhere and say, what do you think about Jesus? Jesus is great. Now, that's what they were saying. Yeah, Jesus is great. The cross is great, but it's not enough. They were saying these things. There's an extra experience of fullness that we only can bring you. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You put your trust in Jesus, but you've got to do this to really have the real deal, you see. Uh, we have special knowledge about spirit beings and layers of, of, of things that control uh, principalities and, and powers spiritually. We have knowledge to pierce through, to, to block out barriers. And, and if you're able to know the right things to say, the, the secret words, the right incantations, if you're able to say them right, then it will unlock spiritual power for you. Not just Jesus. Trusting Jesus. And we'll tell you what the words are. And you really need some special religious rituals to, to kind of be the conveyor of all this, this extra stuff to you because you're not, you know, you're not really just smart enough to conceptualize it. We're going to put you in a place where you kind of touch and handle these things. I mean, back to celebrity wife sop for the last time, hopefully ever. I will take you back there. And uh, there, there is Gail Haggard, Gary Busey, and the Indian uh, sitting Indian style, cross leg on, on the grass in the middle of a public park, and they've got this drum and kaboom. And and Gary Busey's saying, "Do you do you feel it?" And Gail Haggard's like, "No," because you see that that's what he need. he just needed this spiritual experience of the echo of all this stuff, and it was crazy. The false teachers are saying this, Christ is not sufficient. Let us top you off spiritually. You know what I mean? Top you off. Let us make up the difference. Paul writes this letter, and we'll, we'll move into this next week. He writes this letter about the supremacy of Jesus and the utter sufficiency of life with God through Jesus Christ. The life of God in the very soul of man and the walking into not only the forgiveness, the purpose, the power of it all, the joy of it all, of human experience, the way God initially intended for it to be. A reclaiming of a relationship that was lost with man. He tells them, you're doing well. You're doing well in Christ, but don't listen to those people. It'll hurt you. Don't go there. I would like to read the, a little bit of this text, and then I'd like to present to you, before we go to the table, a kind of structure that comes out of the bigger picture that Paul presents in, in opening up this letter to the Colossians. Maybe a structure for us to think about our spiritual life, and our church in the year 2012 as we move into this year. And then I'm going to warn you, there is a whole application about hope and, and why hope motivates us to faith and love that I'm not going to give you this morning in the sermon. Unfortunately for you, or fortunately, depending on how you look at it, you're going to have to go on the city today to find it. I'm going to write the conclusion to this on the city, and I'm going to put a little Bible study for you on the city. So how about that for a teaser? Uh, you won't get the whole sermon unless you go to the city. So after, the, the, uh, you'll have to go sign up. You're doing great, Paul says. Verse 3, we always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you. 
You're doing great. We've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. We've heard of your love for all the saints. The faith and love that spring from the hope that is stored up for you in heaven. That that you've already heard about this hope in the word of truth, the gospel that has come to you. All over the world, this gospel is bearing fruit and growing just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and understood God's grace in all its truth. We see your changed lives. We see how the grace, mercy, and truth of Jesus is transforming your life day by day. We've heard about this. Here's the structure that comes out of what I just read. And I want us to think about kind of where we are and where we're going, okay, in 2012. We need to be looking back to the cross in faith and understanding the peace with God, the presence of God that comes into our lives through the cross. We need to look back in faith and reassert the reality of a relationship with God by Jesus only and not by our own works. We need to look back and reassert the fact that we indeed are completely atoned for in all of our sins. We are free through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this is why Paul says, We have heard about your faith in Christ Jesus, that you are able to understand the basis of what this is and live out this peace with God and this power of God in your life. So I want us to look back to the cross and apply that to our lives. And then Paul says, I want us to look forward to the hope that is securely kept in heaven for you. The word there talks about something that's been set apart, locked down, secured, that, that all that God will give us in this great hope one day in the future, nothing can threaten that hope. Nobody can steal it. Nobody can diminish it. That's where we're going. It is sure. There will be a new Jerusalem coming down from God out of heaven. There will be the voice saying, Behold, the dwelling of God is now with men. We will behold Him face to face and we, we will sing the holy, holy, holies and there He will look at us with His own eyes, Jesus, and He will love us like we have never quite experienced love before and we will know that we are home. So we look back at what Jesus has done, apply that to our lives in a fresh way. We look forward to where we're going and in the meantime... We ask God to give us the power to love the brothers and the sisters in Christ and to sacrificially love people in the world in His name so that this gospel can move out from just among our circles. See, we, we, we have heard about your faith in Christ Jesus. We have heard about your love, the sacrificial love for all the saints and and how that faith and love spring from the hope that is laid up so sure that you have. And the gospel will bear fruit. 
I want you to write that down somewhere. I'm looking back at the cross and I'm saying that is what is true of me if you have faith in Christ Jesus. I am looking ahead to the new Jerusalem and that is where I'm going. And God's presence and power are with me today to be loved by Him and to love others in His name to show and tell the Gospel. Christ is enough. And may we, rather than jumping out side of Christ, may we go deeper into Christ and even see how all these things work under His loving Lordship to produce more and more a redeemed human life and a redeemed community. Let's pray. Lord, as we go to this table, we pray that we not only look back to the cross, which You've commanded us to do, do this in remembrance of Me, but Lord Jesus, You prayed, You said, I will not fruit, drink of this fruit of the vine until I drink it anew with You in My Father's kingdom. And Lord, as we live in the meantime, we pray that even as we remember You, even as we seek You by faith and feed upon You, that You would comfort and assure, convict and, and do good work in our lives as we share real-time table fellowship with You. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.